Do you procrastinate? Sometimes. Do you know why you procrastinate? I think I procrastinate because I just don't want to do it and I know it's I think it's going to be hard. And what do you do to get yourself going? Um I pair it with something that I like doing. Like I don't like eating spinach, so I always eat it with rice so I can't taste it. Hi everyone and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life through working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi, and as you just heard, I am tackling the idea of procrastination in today's episode. That cutie patootie I was just talking with is my 10-year-old son, and he is one of the procrastination consultants I interviewed for this episode. Throughout it, you'll hear clips of people in my life who procrastinate, and if you stick around until the end, you'll hear from the one person of everyone I asked who does not procrastinate, ever. I know, I was surprised too. I was talking with my sister Julia about writing this episode, and we both agreed that there are definitely opportunities within an episode on procrastination. I make a lot of jokes about putting stuff off. You know, I could joke about procrastinating about writing this episode. Well, turns out it's no joke. I have actually found getting going on writing this episode harder than most anything else I've written. And when I thought about why this was, because you know me, I love a little bit of reflection, I realized it's because I really, really want to get it right, and I have to admit that I'm afraid I won't. I mean, you're all going to be listening to me chatter on about procrastination, and there are just so many aspects to it, and I definitely can't cover them all in one episode. And there are so many other amazing resources out there already created by all these amazing people, so how can I make sure that I'm creating and contributing something new. It's a lot. Oh, by the way, I've included some of these amazing resources in the show notes, so maybe you can procrastinate from doing your work by checking them out after you're done listening to me. Anyway, my point is that I continually put off working on the episode because of a fear of not getting it right, not getting it perfect. And fear doesn't feel good, so it makes sense that I would avoid a situation that might cause that, right? People often think of procrastination as a time management problem, but studies show that it actually often comes down to doing what I did, avoiding uncomfortable emotions. In 2013, an academic study done by some procrastination researchers found that people procrastinate to regulate their emotions in the short term and then let their future selves deal with the consequences, somehow believing that these future selves will be able to handle it better. I can for sure relate to this and definitely have said, that's a problem for future Hannah. Well, it's a funny thing to say, and humor eases the decision to procrastinate a little. It's not always the best idea to pass unfinished things on to the future versions of ourselves. And today, I'm going to share some ideas about procrastination and some strategies that you will hopefully find useful. But first, let's take a quick look at the brain science behind why we avoid things. Procrastination is essentially a result of challenges with task initiation, which is the executive function skill that helps us start doing the things we need to do to get through our day. There are other EF skills that come into play here as well, such as self-regulation, the ability to manage our emotions, and metacognition, which helps us understand why we do what we do, or don't do in this case. 
As you may know, these EF skills are managed by the prefrontal cortex, which is located in the front part of our brains. Tap on your forehead. It's right in there. All right, so that's great. If we've got these prefrontal cortexes that are supposed to be helping us, why is it still so hard to get started? And this is where the helpful, but sometimes ill-timed limbic system comes into the picture and starts causing havoc. One of the main things the limbic system is responsible for is helping us react quickly to situations that are dangerous or cause discomfort. And this is a good thing when you've just grabbed a hot cast iron frying pan handle. I did this the other day. But not so helpful when you're just trying to get your math homework started. The limbic system says, alert, alert, get out of here, because this does not feel good. So let's check in with my procrastination consultants on this topic and see what they have to say about it. Um, I procrastinate because, I mean, after I've had a long day at school, I have lots of homework and outside responsibilities from other things that I'm a part of, and I just kind of want to break, and so I want to move my brain onto other things and not think about all that stuff because it makes me anxious, stressed out. Often, if what I need to do involves calling somebody on the telephone or talking to somebody, I'm not always comfortable in those situations, so I'll often put off doing that. I think I tend to procrastinate when I'm hungry or tired, because when I do activities when I'm hungry or tired, I'm often very hard on myself, so then I don't, I don't enjoy the activity. Okay, you can hear them say that they avoid things that cause discomfort. This is their limbic system talking. When they finally do get going, it's because their prefrontal cortex is finally stepping in and taking over the situation. The limbic system has been around since birth, and our prefrontal cortex develops last, so it kind of makes sense that our limbic systems get first dibs on our reaction to stuff we need to do. The brain chemical or neurotransmitter dopamine also plays a big part in motivation and it can explain why we don't want to do things that are boring. It also explains why people with ADHD often have major struggles with task initiation. When we do something pleasurable, dopamine is released and makes us want to do the thing again. So if we put hard work and effort into something, and I'm not saying that this hard work and effort is always pleasurable, but what is pleasurable is that we receive praise or good grades or some other reward, and then dopamine is produced. This dopamine makes us want to put the effort in again because the reward feels good. For people with ADHD, less dopamine makes it to the regions of the brain involved with motivation, so they do not feel that motivating, pleasurable feeling as much as people without ADHD. Something else interesting that I learned from reading Russell Barkley, a renowned ADHD expert who has written a ton of books on the topic, is that people with ADHD have a difficult time seeing time other than right now. So why not put off the sucky stuff and do something that gives you a nice boost of dopamine instead? If this is resonating with you, regardless of your ADHD status, you are not alone. My procrastination consultants shared that boredom was often a reason for putting off tasks. Do you procrastinate? 100%, absolutely, all the time. Do you know why? So for me, if it's not fun and creative, it pretty much gets put on the back burner every single time. Um, I just get bored of it and I don't want to do it, so I won't do it. Do you know why you procrastinate? Because I don't want to do it because it's boring. 
And generally speaking, the task itself is usually not anything incredibly difficult, but for whatever reason, it's perceived by myself as something that's dreaded. Either it's boring or I'm not willing to devote the time to sit down and actually start it. Like, I always put bills at the top of my list, but do my bills always get done? No, they never get done. Yeah. Why not? But I, because I procrastinate, because I hate it. Okay, thanks for sticking with me while I explored the brain a bit. So what can we do about this? How can we battle our brains? How can we overcome that boredom? These brains of ours learn these reactions over years and years, from childhood really. So it makes sense that we would react the same over time and find it difficult to change. Is there any way we can ease those uncomfortable emotions and then hack these tasks so they're not quite so awful and stop leaving so much undone for those future versions of ourselves? So the other day I counted and there are about 5 million approaches to help with task initiation. And while I would love to share all of those 5 million ideas with you, I wouldn't have any time left to spend watching my Korean dramas instead of doing the things on my own to-do list. And it would also leave you no time to do the things that you you like to do instead of what you're supposed to be doing. So I've narrowed my list down from 5 million to 5. I'd love to hear from you. So if you've got a strategy or approach that works well for you that I don't mention in this episode, shoot me an email and I'll try to share them in a future episode, which I'm sure I'll procrastinate about and you'll have to wait until 2024 to listen to it. Okay. Anyway, so on to my five strategies to make task initiation a little easier and a little less painful. I'll also explain some of the EF skills that you might use for each strategy. First up, make a plan. Practicing the EF skill of planning and prioritizing is always helpful. And for some, it can really make a difference when it comes to getting started. Something we coaches hear often is that the reason our clients don't start something is because it feels so big, sometimes overwhelmingly huge, and they just don't know where to start. I bet you've probably felt that way about something before. I know I sure have. I really felt this writing this episode. Anyway, the simple act of breaking tasks down into steps is often the nudge that's needed just to get going, and it can also help you find a good place to start. But how do you do this in an organized and effective way? One of my favorite tools that I share with every client I've ever worked with is called STM, or Steps Time Mapping. And I'd be willing to wager that this tool is a favorite in every EF coach's toolbox. You can find a link to a visual for this tool in the show notes, but for now, I'll just describe it to you. To create an STM, you write down all the steps involved in your project, and you can get as granular as you'd like here. And then make some guesses about how much time you'll need for each, and then map it out when and maybe even where you'll do the things. Be sure to build in breaks and maybe even some buffer time at the end, just in case something comes up and you're not able to work on the thing when you thought you'd be able to, because I promise you, that will happen. It can help to work backward from the due date to figure out how much buffer time you can actually give yourself. And try to be honest with yourself and realistic about how much you're likely to get done in a day. I always ask myself and my clients, is this a reasonable amount of work you're asking yourself to do at this time? And this idea leads right into my second tip for making it easier to get going. 
Using the EF skill of metacognition and checking in with yourself to either see how you're feeling or to figure out what barriers are keeping you from getting started can be really helpful. Take some time to figure out what time of day you're most likely to be successful in completing these tasks. In addition to the question about whether it's a reasonable amount of work, I also like to ask, when are you most likely to be successful doing this thing? And it may be that you do your best work at unconventional hours. So be open to considering working when most others aren't. You might be like my dear friend, Bonnie, who finds two in the morning a prime time for getting work done. A tool that can be used to check in with ourselves before starting to work on something we don't want to work on is the HALT strategy. And HALT was originally developed to help addicts predict when they might relapse. At Beyond Booksmart, we teach this tool to our clients to help them assess how they're doing before starting something. Okay, so H stands for hungry. A is for angry or anxious. L stands for lonely and T for tired. If you are feeling any of these things, taking care of them before getting started might help. And speaking of A for anxious, feeling anxious about doing the thing can really get in the way of getting started. If you're experiencing a lot of anxiety, it might be helpful to get some support from a therapist. If you're not sure where to start, reach out to your doctor and they can provide some guidance. It can also be helpful to do some reflection and ask why you're procrastinating at this particular moment. What is stopping you? Peg Dawson, the author of Smart But Scattered and a guest on a previous episode of this podcast, has an excellent activity that might help you figure out why you're procrastinating and come up with a plan to get past that stuck feeling. Her tool is linked in the show notes, so please check it out. Okay, so next up is to be sure to create a good environment. It's worthwhile to take some time to consider steps that you can take to set yourself up for success. The EF skills of self-regulation, flexible thinking, and organization come into play here. So you could pair the thing that you don't want to do with something that you do like to do. You could fold that dreaded laundry while watching a show. You might want to consider choosing a show you've seen before or one that you won't get sucked into. You could listen to music or an audiobook while you mow the lawn, or try out a new podcast on your morning run. You can work with a buddy. This strategy is called body doubling. Make sure it's someone who won't distract you from your work or give you a hard time if you're struggling to stay focused. A college client of mine has identified two friends of hers with whom she can study, and they're motivated to study, which helps her get into it. You can make sure you have a special snack that comforts you or one that you can just use as a reward. Maybe every time you finish a paragraph or even just a sentence on that paper you've been struggling with, you get to eat some M&Ms. It can also help to take some time to set up a good workspace. Make sure you've got the supplies you need and good lighting. Wearing noise-canceling headphones can help if you're in a noisy area or you have to share a workspace. And maybe try putting up a do not disturb sign. This can let others know that you're trying to get stuff done. For some people, changing up your location can help. So maybe try working at the public library or at a friend's house or even just out on your back deck. Okay, next up, start small and stay small. The tool I mentioned before, that STM, that's a great example of starting small. The first step of using that tool is to break your big task down into small tasks. Time management, planning, and prioritizing are the EF skills that come up most with this strategy. 
If I'm having trouble getting started on something I'm writing, like this episode, for example, I always make an outline. And my outline doesn't even start off looking like an actual outline. I just do a messy brain dump and I type some words that come to me on the page. And actually, you don't even have to type. You can use voice recognition software. If you're working in Google Docs, turn on the Google Voice type in the tools menu, and you can just dump the contents of your brain right onto the paper without even lifting a finger. You can also use a speech-to-text app right on your phone. Another great strategy that many Beyond Booksmart coaches share with their client is the beloved five-minute goals. This is such a great strategy because it both gets you to do the thing, but it also gives you an out. You only have to do the thing for five minutes or even two minutes if five feels like too long. Okay, so you set a timer and do the thing. When the timer goes off, I'm willing to bet you that you'll experience what my daughter shared. Well, uh, sometimes I like to say just do it for a minute because then eventually I'll forget about it and just keep going. Okay, if I'm wrong and you can't relate to what she said and you find yourself praising the timer gods and being glad that the five minutes is over, maybe it's not a great time for you to do the thing anyway. We know that starting small is essential and so is continuing this approach while you work. Continually breaking things down into small chunks is a great way to help yourself get through the things you don't want to do. Don't expect your effort to be effective for hours without a break. And if you discover a new task within the larger thing that you're doing, be sure to break that down too. Okay, my fifth tip goes back to what I was talking about earlier, how I was struggling to get started on this podcast because I wasn't sure if I could do it the right way. So my advice is to try to be okay with imperfection, which to some of you is going to sound impossible. I know, I totally get it. This is personally what often gets in the way of me getting started. Self-regulation and flexible thinking are two of the EF skills that can help. One of my favorite books about procrastination, It's About Time by Linda Sepaden. In it, Dr. Sepaden writes about how perfectionist procrastinators are aiming for, you guessed it, perfection. And since they know that the risk of failing to reach perfection is extremely high, they may put the thing off entirely to avoid failure or wait until last minute so they can blame what they see as an imperfect product on something else other than themselves. If this resonates with you, you might try working on striving for excellence instead of perfection. High-performing, successful athletes are coached for this, and it works. So go for really great, not perfect. Dr. Sipaden suggests changing your language. Instead of saying, I should do this thing, try saying, I could do this thing. This shifts your thinking from seeing the thing that you have to do as a burden to seeing it from a viewpoint of realism and choice. I feel like you could use this change in language as an opportunity to throw in some of the other strategies here too. I should write this episode on procrastination becomes I could write this episode on procrastination, sitting on the back deck, rewarding myself with five M&Ms after I finish a sentence. Hmm, excuse me while I go raid my kid's Halloween candy. I think a lot of perfectionist procrastinators would likely benefit from some reflection on their relationship with failure. Like I said in the episode on failure, when scientists do experiments to create or test something, they don't look for perfection right away. 
If they did, nothing would ever get invented, right? One of my favorites, James Clear, who is the author of Atomic Habits, wrote a great article on his blog about this idea. You can find the link to the article in the show notes. And in it, he encourages us to be honest with ourselves and figure out what is needed versus what is optimal. Yeah, of course. We'd love to be able to dive into something with everything all perfect so we can have this perfect outcome, but it's just not realistic. And it's also not as interesting. We learn a heck of a lot more about the thing that we're tackling and about ourselves when we actually allow ourselves to create without fear of imperfection. The results of this are actually just beautifully messy iterations of the thing we're working towards. They're stepping stones towards something we can be happy with. And creating space for these iterations can't happen if we leave things to the last minute, right? Many of my procrastination consultants said they rely on urgency. Most of the time, it's uh, deadlines and like a sense of urgency that makes me makes me want to do it deadlines usually that's what motivates me I just have no more time left to put it off and then I have to do it and I also just like to work under pressure it just gives me that adrenaline to get it done what I do to get going is either come up against a deadline where I have no choice and I simply have to do it no excuses I think it's because I'm motivated by deadlines and I only will start to start a project or something if I'm moving close to that deadline and I get the anxiety inducing effects of that and that motivates me to then start. I think deadlines approaching faster. Like I will absolutely do it when it's like, okay, I have to do this and it's due in 10 minutes or I need to do this by tomorrow. Then I'll finally, that's what forces me. Honestly, nothing else will get me to do it unless the deadline's like right there. <laughs> I'm guessing that many of you listening are nodding your head saying, yep, that's me. You may like working this way. And if you do, you'll hear no judgment from me. I do encourage you to keep listening, though. There may be a way to break free from the urgency reliance. Okay, let's jump back into our brains for a sec. Remember that limbic system from the beginning of this episode? Well, the amygdala is part of the limbic system, and it's responsible for the flight or fight response you've likely heard of and probably experienced. Well, waiting till the last minute and relying on urgency to get stuff done is stressful, whether we realize it or not, and it causes our brains to be hijacked by the amygdala. And during an amygdala hijack, our bodies release stress hormones, which are not great. So out of concern for your beautiful brains and your healthy bodies, I challenge those of you who use urgency as a motivator to experiment with not relying on urgency, with not waiting for that adrenaline to kick in and force you to get the work done. I totally get that this may seem utterly impossible to you, or you might not even be interested in trying, but at least hear me out. If you feel like you must absolutely rely on urgency, you might try building in fake urgency. Of course, this requires you to basically trick yourself into thinking the thing needs to be done earlier than it truly does, which I admit sounds pretty difficult. But try, just try starting something just like a tiny bit earlier than you normally would. Use some of the strategies I just explored, especially the ones where you work to break the large task down into smaller tasks. These mini deadlines can help. And this is also why building in that buffer time I mentioned earlier in the episode is so helpful. 
With buffer time, we can adjust how small our steps are. Some days you're going to be feeling ultra productive and others will just be a slog. Giving ourselves the space to keep things small can really help on those days, but leaving it to the last minute doesn't allow for that. And then we have to push through regardless of how we feel. This strategy is what works well for me. If I leave things to the last minute, my anxiety takes over and makes it so I can't even do the task at all. One of my consultants shared that she experiences this too. Packing and stuff, I knew I needed to start packing. I didn't procrastinate because I'm like, oh, that's going to stress me out if I wait too late. I don't know. It's like selective procrastination. If you are able to break free from urgency and start even just a tiny bit earlier, use your metacognition to notice how you feel and notice the quality of your work. I'm willing to wager a good amount of M&Ms that you'll have a better experience, feel better about your work, and in turn, feel better about yourself. This is the last episode of our first season of Focus Forward, and we will return on October 5th and we'll bring you more interesting topics, fascinating guests, and support for you as you work to develop your executive function skills. If I have learned anything over the course of the last 11 episodes of this podcast, it is to embrace my fear of failure. It has taken a lot of work and it will continue to take a lot of work. One of my favorite quotes ever is from psychologist Susan David, and Susan says, discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. And this podcast has added more meaning to my life than I ever imagined, and it was one of the hardest and most uncomfortable things I've ever done. I have to admit that this episode in particular was originally scheduled for much earlier in this podcast season, but in an ironic twist due to scheduling changes and my own perfectionist procrastination tendencies, it ended up being the perfect topic for the last episode of the season. I know my lesson here is to not go for perfection, but sometimes you end up with it when you just try for excellence. I can't even begin to thank you, our listeners, enough for all the support you've given me and my podcast team over the past 11 episodes. I want to personally thank Sean Potts, Justice Abbott, Mimi Fernandez, and Jackie Hebert for all of their help from the beginning. And special thanks to Annabelle Ferber, Barbara Garvin-Kester, Denise McMahon, John Frank, and Michael Delman for their help on this episode. And a very, very special shout out for my procrastination consultants, who also happen to be very special people in my life. Graham, Eliza, Bonnie, Isabel, Nikolai, Justice, Mara, Julia, Aiden, Lynette, and William. And as always, thank you for being here and taking time out of your day to listen. If you are enjoying learning about these important topics we've covered in each episode of Focus Forward, please share it with the special people in your life. And be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast at beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. We'll let you know when the first episode of a new season drops, and we'll share topics and information related to the episode. Thanks for listening. Oh, and I didn't forget, here's Mara sharing her experience with procrastination, or should I say, not procrastinating. Do you procrastinate? Never. Never? No, no, no. I'm that kind of person. If I have something to do, I have to do it. Why? Why I do tomorrow if I can do 
now or today.